Welcome to University Hill, located on the campus of the University of British Columbia in beautiful Vancouver. Each week, we gather on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Musqueam people. We worship, sing, pray, and engage with scripture as we seek to grow in faith and as followers of Jesus. We pray that this podcast of scripture passages and sermons preached will bless your own faith journey. And of course, you're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning. Check out uhill.net for a Zoom link and more information. Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Matthew, chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same. And about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And then when, we re- and when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner saying, these last worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. The word of our Lord. Let us pray. Holy God, we give you thanks and praise for the gift of this day and for the gift of this time together and for the privilege of uh, coming into your presence, of hearing your word and uh, doing all we can to trust that it's true. We pray that you would bless the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts, that they would be acceptable in your sight. We ask in the name of Jesus, our rock and our redeemer. So we are continuing in our kind of Back to Basics series this week, uh, considering the things that are core to Christian faith through the readings uh, from the Gospel according to St. Matthew. There are uh, sermon notes on the back table, if that's the kind of thing you like. You don't have to have them now, but you can take them with you, um, or they were emailed out to you, just so you can keep up with uh, where where we're at in the series. And, And part of the reason we're doing this kind of Back to Basics thing is that we're uh, is, is not is the season that we're in not just in the Christian or sorry not just in the regular calendar not just uh, like the new school year but in the Christian calendar 
Right? The season after Pentecost is the time in the church when uh, we're focused on what, getting what we paid attention to in the first half of the year, the birth and ministry, the death, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus, worked into our everyday lives. Right? The stuff that we've seen, what we've come to know of God in Jesus, is meant to find shape. It's meant to come to life in our lives. And I've reminded us regularly over the past few weeks that when Matthew sat down to write his gospel, he wasn't just sitting down to tell people about uh, the life and times of Jesus. He was trying to form a community in the way of Jesus, right? So this is about formation, not just information, which is one of the challenges, I think. I I say this a lot, but I, I think it's important because it's one of the biggest challenges for us who live in a culture where information is prized over just about anything. You know, we're told that if we just know the right stuff, if we can just get the right answer, if we'll pass all the right tests, if we can understand how things are, then we'll be okay. We'll be able to sort ourselves and this world out. And it's a nice idea, it just doesn't seem to be true. You know, the cold hard facts don't change us nearly as much as we'd like to think. You know, we just don't... Uh, we, we don't do better when we know better, at least not at the rate that we've been promised. Psychological study after psychological study shows that we aren't really swayed by more information. We're far more uh, influenced by how we're formed in the world. So we miss the point, I think, when we treat Scripture as a kind of spiritual or religious information. I mean, you could have the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' most famous, longest ethical teaching, memorized and still not looking awful lot like him. And I know that because I could tell you just about everything in that sermon, and every day I still stumble over the facts of it. Like, it doesn't do me any good if it just stays in my head. It only does me good if it gets into my heart. Right? That's the goal of Christian formation. Right? Moving the hope and promise of the gospel, the good news of what God has done in Jesus Christ from our heads into our hearts. And today's parable is a good example of why that matters. I don't care if this is the first time you've heard it or the thousandth time that you've heard it. It doesn't matter how well you know the details of this teaching. There is nothing in the world that would incline us to live it out if it stays at the level of information. Like, no thank you. Now, Jesus says a lot of offensive things, but I think this parable, this teaching story, might be the most offensive (laughs) Now, every time I read it, there's part of me that really wants to make it make sense. But this information does not compute. This landowner has a business model that we are not going to find in any business textbooks. They are teaching this stuff over at Sodder. <laughs> you know, no disrespect, in fact, respect to Sodder, because this is a terrible business model. Right? This is not good employee management. And probably all we can say about that is thanks be to God. Right? That seems to be Jesus' point. Jesus wants us to understand that the kingdom of heaven is not a slight improvement on the way things are, but it's a whole new thing. <laughs> the, the familiar rules do not apply. In fact, Jesus tells this parable in response to a question rooted in the way things are. Jesus has this interaction with someone who decides that following him doesn't pass the cost-benefit analysis. He's talking to this rich fellow who wants to know what he needs to do to get in on this kingdom of heaven thing. And Jesus tells him, he, said, <laughs> he says, you only lack one thing. You have too much stuff. Isn't that a weird way of saying that? <laughs> you only lack one thing. You have too much stuff. So just 
Go sell everything you have, take the money, and give it to the poor, and then come follow me. And Matthew says that the the young man went away grieving (laughs) because he had lots of stuff. (laughs) And then to make matters worse, Jesus looks at his disciples and he tells them that it's going to be harder to get rich folks into the kingdom of heaven, to reorient them, reorient us and our understanding of how things really are into the ways and means of God, it's going to be harder to do that than to shove a camel through the eye of a needle, which is an evocative image. (laughs) And it's a shocking reality, right? In a world where the rich were assumed to be blessed and highly favored. A world not entirely unlike ours. Matthew tells us that when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astounded, and they said to one another, then who can be saved? Like if the rich are hooped, what hope is there for the rest of us? There's some redemption in this story when Jesus tells them that God's got some tricks up his sleeves and rich folks might be okay. But then Peter, who often opens his mouth before he engages his brain, takes it upon himself to point out to Jesus that he and the other disciples have already left everything and followed him. And so what are they going to get? Surely that is worthy of great reward. They've been hustling for the Lord, and that is bound to pay off, because that's how the world works, right? And that's when Jesus tells this teaching story. The kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning looking for people to work in his vineyard. And here we get the first hint at the heart of the story. Now, what Jesus does not say is there were some good and diligent workers waiting in the marketplace early in the morning, hoping to get hired for an honest day's work. That may or may not be true, but the focus here is the landowner, the one who gets out early ahead of the crowds, who doesn't wait for folks to come and hang around his gates looking for work, but goes out and finds them because the kingdom of heaven is a situation that not only invites, or not only allows our participation, but invites our participation. God is coming after workers to do this thing. The vineyard needs labors. If it will be a good vintage, those vines need attention. The landowner can't, or at any rate, he won't do it all himself. Whatever the way of Jesus is, whatever the kingdom of heaven is, it's a physical, embodied, participatory reality. Right? The way of Jesus involves dirt and calluses. Which is all well and good, but here's where the trouble begins. Because the landowner is relentless in his hiring practices. <laughs> he keeps going out to collect folks. Right? And I have to assume that by the time he gets out there at 5 o'clock and finds the ones who've been loafing around all day, that he's scraping the bottom of the barrel. Right? These were the truly unhirable ones. We're not told why. Do they forget their alarms, or are they just lazy, are they they weak? Are they the kinds of folks that everybody knows you don't want on your farm? All we know is that no one hired them until now. There's always work to be done in this vineyard. And so in they go, and they work an hour, and then the horn goes, and the shift is over, and it's pay time. And, And we heard how this goes. It goes about as well as you might expect when the ones who worked all day are paid the same amount as those who worked an hour, they are predictably annoyed. They grumble. This isn't fair. It's not right. What kind of an employer would do this? 
What's the point of getting a sunburn and a sore back if we could have just stayed home all day and made the same amount of money? And honestly, I do get kind of hung up here. Now, which is probably because I have a tendency to imagine that I'm part of one of the earlier groups. <laughs> Maybe not the early in the morning crew, but surely the nine o'clockers. At worst, the three o'clockers. I mean, my guess is, and you might be more righteous than me, but my guess is that most of us don't hear this and assume that we're part of the lazy and the leftover, right? Because even if we know better, I'm guessing that most of our, us live our lives according to the cultural expectations that we move in. The expectation is that if we show up early and work hard and do better and get good grades and get enough exercise and watch our diet and find a good spouse and raise good kids and save for retirement and vote the right way and care about the right things and do everything we need to do to show that we're worthy, then we'll be just that. We'll be worthy. And I'm not about to suggest that we shouldn't steward this one wild and precious life that we have well. It's just that if we do it according to the standards of the world, I think at something, some point the whole thing breaks down, right? Because the bar keeps moving, the ceiling keeps getting higher, someone else showed up earlier and worked harder, and is more worthy. Nothing else. We're all going to die. <laughs> right? <laughs> and I can't help but think that if we keep working according to the way things are, we're just going to end up with a sunburn and a sore back and not know why. Right? We'll bear the burden of the day and be left grumbling. Deep down, we'll be bitter and angry, even if we're polite about it. Be envious of others and stingy with what we've been given. But let's go back to the beginning of the story and remember that it's not mostly about the laborers. It's mostly about the landowners. He's the one who dictates the conditions of this story and ours. He's the one who goes out in search of the laborers. He's the one who calls and claims. He's the one who provides the good work and invites others to tend the vineyard. The landowner is the one who goes out again and again, calling more and more, refusing to leave any behind. The landowner is the one who chooses to be generous when he doesn't need to be. No one would question if he paid the last group only for the hour that they worked. But the landowner gets to do what he wants with what he has, and unexpected, extravagant generosity is the choice. Ultimately, that's only a problem if we get the focus wrong. <laughs> if the focus is on us, on the laborers, then of course this is hard to swallow. Right? But if we fix our eyes on the landowner, the way he moves through this story, it opens up astonishing possibilities. It allows us to sit in the reality that, first of all, everything we are and have is pure grace. Now, that we exist at all has nothing to do with us. We exist because God wants it that way. And whatever the analog is in our story, this landowner planted the vineyard long before the workers ever showed up. And he agreed to pay them well to play a part in this winemaking venture before he had any idea what kind of workers they were. And we have no idea why that first group was there, right? We assume it was their get up and go, but maybe they were like the students that I often hear under my window at five o'clock in the morning just getting home from heaven knows what. You know, maybe they got called into work by accident. <laughs> wrong place at the wrong time. That would be truer of most of the stories of faith that I know. I didn't mean to be a Christian. 
And I certainly didn't mean to be a minister. I had higher expectations for myself in this. I was just wandering around the marketplace when God showed up and changed my life. Maybe you have a story like that too. But most importantly, if we keep our eyes on the landowner, we get to, we get to bask in the wonder of the end of the story. It really is extraordinary that the landowner's generosity has nothing to do with what we imagine to be the value of the workers. The landowner is lavish because he wants to be, because it's his nature. The kingdom of heaven is like that, Jesus says. This is the real gem, the heart at the center of life and the will and way of Jesus, that his love, his mercy, his grace, his generosity outstrips all of our best efforts to earn it and all of the ways that we fail to earn it. And this is especially good news, I think, for those days on which we are the five o'clock crew. When we don't measure up, when we miss the mark, when we're made to feel that we're not worthy of whatever it is we think we're trying to earn. I I like to imagine the landowner. (laughs) Imagine the landowner watching those last ones get paid, a full day's wage, when they know they don't deserve anything like that. Imagine him just delighting in the shock and surprise and the unexpected generosity. I think our greatest hope is that that's how God is with us. The parable invites us to know that God doesn't call us to earn divine favor, but God invites us to receive that divine favor as a baseline. That there is nothing you can do to make God love you more or less. Nothing you can do to make you more or less worthy in God's eyes. In Jesus, we know that there is nothing that God will hold back when it comes to being with us and for us. Nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord, not our failures, not other people's expectations, not our own expectations, not anything we do or don't do. Nothing in heaven, earth, or hell, not even death, will keep God from loving us, from coming after us. That is absolutely true. Go back to where we started. It doesn't much matter if that information only stays in our heads. But I can stand up here and tell you that God loves you, that God's grace is for you, that God desperately wants you to work in the vineyard. (laughs) And you might even believe me, more or less. I might even believe it. But it won't make a lick of difference unless that information moves from our head our hearts. This parable does not make sense until we've tasted the grace of God for ourselves. That is more than an intellectual exercise. And the beautiful thing is, the profound promise that Jesus is aiming at is that when we begin to understand the grace we've received, when we begin to let the love of God pour into our hearts, when we recognize that even when we show up at the end of the day, we will get wildly more than we ever deserved, then we are never disappointed when the others get the same. In fact, the more we know God's grace for us, the more we'll be amazed at God's grace for others. The more we recognize that we are not only what we make of ourselves, the more we'll delight in the miracle that is our neighbor. The more we understand the work that God calls us to, that it's the work of making wine for heaven's kingdom. This is my imagination. 
We are called to make wine for that banquet on the day when every tear is wiped away and every hungry belly is filled and all things are made new. The more we know we're called into that work, the more joy we'll take in our task. I bet that last group was there first thing next morning. (laughs) Because the last will be first, after all. What if that's not a... This is off the book. But what if that's not a threat? What if it's a promise (laughs) that... Like every time we receive, we experience God's grace, we like we want to jump to the front of the line and get closer. And then someone else is at the end, they want to jump to the line and get closer. Right? You know, in the topsy-turvy metrics of the kingdom, we find ourselves breathless that this is what God wants to do with what is his, to give it relentlessly, a gift of amazing grace. And when we start to understand God's generosity, we can't help but be generous ourselves. When we understand God's work, we just want to get in on it. Here's the homework for this week. We're doing homework these days. Um, I hope that many of us have some idea of what I'm talking about. And I also believe that it's the sort of thing that we need to be reminded of daily, sometimes hourly. (laughs) I want to invite you to spend some time this week in this parable, to let it work its way deeper into you. It's because we never reach the bottom of God's grace. We never get past the edge of God's grace. Called to know the full height and depth and length and width of God's love for us, but every time we think we've reached the end, there's more. God's mercies are new every morning. So there are some spiritual formation cards at the back. Uh, I also sent them out in an email today. Um, And I encourage you to pick one up. Uh, you can take one of, one of each if you want, but, but pick one up at least and uh, spend some time using it. I mean, we have to carve out time to get the stuff in us, right? If we don't do that, then we will be formed by whatever else is going on around us. There's only intentional formation and unintentional formation. And if we don't have time for prayer and scripture, then we are already being formed by something else. So we need to carve out time. Do that and use this to reflect on this glimpse of of what Jesus uh, gives us of the kingdom of heaven. Find yourself in it. Don't let it rest in your head, but let it get into your heart. Know more and more that the kingdom of heaven, the way things really are, and what we're made for, like this landowner who went out early in the morning. Maybe so.